Welcome to the crap and the crazy with Tash Critter. Tash owns Little Wooden Toy Box and is mother of two teens, both with autism, ADHD and PDA. 10 years in early intervention, working with the kids' OTs, speeches and psychologists has given Tash unique insight into understanding difficult behaviours and why they occur, as well as understanding how emotional regulation and sensory input impacts us and our behaviour. This insight has helped Tash design and implement resources and coping strategies to make home life calmer and more organised. Join Tash as she talks about day-to-day -day life with autism, the sucky bits and the wins, plus tips for enjoying life despite the challenges. Hello, welcome to today's podcast. I've titled this one, What No One Sees. Um, so there's not really any useful strategies in this. It's more a mental health one as a parent, more focused on the sucky bits and how autism can look behind the scenes and also to recognize that sometimes you can't fix it and that's okay and it's okay to not be okay as well. So in this one I wanted to go through, um, I've said before my boy used to just scream and scream and scream and three hours was an average kind of time to scream and daily and repeatedly daily as well. And um, so I was wondering whether I should actually talk about this or not, but look, there's going to be other people out there going through this and I remember just feeling so alone and also not realizing that it wasn't normal because you're so stuck in it, you're so sleep deprived, you've got someone screaming at you all the time and combine that with no sleep and you're not really processing like a normal person, yeah? So my boy, the only place I could keep him safe when he was probably around four years old then and also give myself a break and not be screamed at in my face because I couldn't actually fix it. I couldn't stop the screaming. Um, and I don't know why I guess I didn't have tools and strategies back then. So this was probably before I knew about applying that deep pressure, that proprioception. Um, so I used to put him in the garage and I know how awful that sounds. And that's by no means a, this is a way to deal with it. Um, you are going to deal with your kid differently depending on what you can cope with as well. When he was really little, um, I remember the health nurse or someone at Nagala because we got in there as well and they just told me you didn't have an off switch sent us home again which thank you but yeah anyway um but they said like when they're really little put them in a safe space which was a cot for him close the door so like there was he was completely safe everything was fine go get a tea and I used to sit out in the backyard and that was my you know three minutes break I suppose just to reset and then to go back into that situation but you know years and years of that on top of each other and then your kid gets bigger and then the safe space kind of when they get bigger and they've got adrenaline going as well um the garage door was the only thing because that's a what is it a solid door as opposed to the doors inside your house which you can punch through which we haven't actually had um but that garage door was a solid door and my kid didn't smash things up so I didn't have to worry about the car I know friends who've got kids similar and they couldn't do that because their kid would just destroy the car and everything in there my boy would stand there so he would do the tin soldier and scream and scream and scream till he threw up and I would be on the other side of the door but it was just it was just a coping strategy for me when I knew there wasn't a single thing I could do to help him um at least at that point with what I knew I couldn't help him so yeah that's something I used to do um 
and then I'm thinking, look, is that child abuse or not? And then another story along those lines, which no, I don't think that's child abuse. That was the best way I could cope. No one else could help me. No one else, no one else knew what to do. Um, and like I said, we'd been through the Nagala process. I think it'd been diagnosed by this point. So it was, you know, you get a diagnosis and a label and you can research and whatnot, but that doesn't actually help you through these meltdowns yeah which is why hopefully listening to this and then some of the um, strategies that we've got in the emotional regulation pack will help you too if this sounds familiar and you are at this point and have no clue what to do but back then no one no one could help we had started going to early intervention probably soon after this point um, and you know that's still only 45 minutes where you're not getting your whole life story, how it looks all behind the scenes until sometimes years down the track, yeah? And then you're collecting little bits of information. Um, but when you're working with therapists, they've got their goals and that, you know, doesn't necessarily help you or the, you're not getting across all these strategies for home life. Does that make sense? Anyway, I was going to go back to, um, uh, this was probably the worst thing that, I don't know, as a parent, I did, I suppose. And again, not knowing, that's what the stupid book said. Um, this is another thing you can research and then you can think you're doing the right thing because the book says you should do this, then you try this and you're like, that really wasn't the right thing for us. So again, I hope this just helps as far as, you know, you can take bits and pieces, but they're not necessarily going to work for you or right for your situation, or they may work for a neurotypical kid and they're just not working for yours. So again, here, when I was reading, I'm not gonna say who it was, um, but when I was reading this book, I don't think my boy was diagnosed at this point. So I didn't know I was dealing with autism and therefore things would be different, yes? So this book said that, you know, if your kid at bedtime dropped the toy, so this is out of the cot, so he must've been around two or three years old. If your kid dropped the toy outside of the cot and then started screaming and carrying on and not sleeping, they were just manipulating you, yeah? So this was a sleep strategies book. So I'm like, right, I've tried everything else. I used to sleep on the floor uh, with my hand in the cot and that's the only way he would go to sleep and th this would be two to four hours every night. So I just slept on the carpet with my hand in the cot and that's how he got to sleep at least at yeah some point that worked um so i tried this thing because we're trying to get him to sleep independently i don't know whether i was pregnant at the time with my girl but you know that's kind of a life goal for your kid to sleep at some point and this was nighttime sleeps day sleeps we'd just given up on by this point um so he had his favorite teddy jack this poor Jack, he hasn't got any ears or tail anymore, but he's being put in a special box. My boy's now older, but he's, we've kept Jack. There's lots of stories around Jack. I could do a whole podcast around, podcast around that. Anyway, so I'm trying this sleep strategy, yeah? And so this book said, I think it was, you just wait it out till your kid has a 20 second, 45 second break from screaming or whatever. You go in, lay them down again, then close the door, walk out, or walk out, close the door would make more sense. Something like this, yes. I have not read this book. I do not want to read this book, but probably for the last 10 years, but it was something along these lines. So I'm like, right, we'll try it. So I sat outside my boy's door for 45 minutes and there was not even a 10 second gap in his screaming. Screaming, like blood curdling screaming, yes? Which I now realize autism screaming is probably different from 
baby pissed off doesn't want to sleep screaming yeah so knowing now the difference between a meltdown and a kid just procrastinating on sleep again not a sleep expert this is my two cents worth my experience so yeah he was screaming for that long and i'm like this is ridiculous at around the 40 45 minute mark so i went in there sure enough he'd thrown his teddy out that's what he was screaming about this has gone way beyond a tantrum this is full blown meltdown by this point what i didn't realize while he's been screaming the screaming was so loud i was i was a meter two meters away on the other side of the door so i never left him but he didn't know that um, he'd been bashing his knees against the cot. His knees were black, but I didn't hear it because the screaming was so loud. And that was just, that's probably the worst thing I've done as a parent, not with any abuse or neglect or any of those. Like my intentions were good. I was just trying what this stupid book said. Um, so also to, to just acknowledge I don't know, as a parent, you don't have the answers. Your kid doesn't come with a manual and a lot of parenting is trial and error. Now, if I had have done that again, for me, I would call that child abuse or neglect. Um, that only happened once and that poor kid, he was so knackered. I, as soon as I realized, I picked him up, hugged him, gave him back his teddy bear, laid him down and he fell straight to sleep, which I don't think he's ever done before that or since then. He was exhausted and yeah not cool with that style of parenting that book don't know what happened to that book but yeah i don't think i opened it again um another one oh, no that was the same book it said that um if your kids which i remember talking to one of my best friends about this if your kid poops once you put them down to sleep that was just another manipulation or procrastination method and i'm like but your kid especially if you've got a anxious or highly wired kid when they stop and slow down and you take away all the you know the sensory and environmental stimuli then isn't it possible that their bodies would relax and then they would poop and that's actually got nothing to do with manipulation or control or any of those things that the book said anyway i just wanted to say that in case that helps anyone at all if you can relate another couple of stories i had which are sort of on topic as far as you know, especially when you've got kids that are considered high functioning, which again, I'll do another podcast about that because there's a lot of misconception around that. But my kids look normal. They look neurotypical. Therefore, the expectations for their behavior and, you know, homework and study and social and all of those things are much higher as you would expect for neurotypical kids. But my kids have got to work that much harder to maintain that. And then they're exhausted. Then they've got all the sensory overwhelm and whatever else. And, you know, they can hold themselves together for school, but they come home and they're, they are knackered. They're exhausted. We've got the meltdowns. We've got the behaviors and everything else because they've focused so much on keeping themselves together at school um, that they just have nothing left to give once they get home. And that's not neurotypical. That's not normal. And, you know, homework, just had to bring up homework. Um, and, you know, my background, I was a teacher. And, oh, sorry, before we go on to the homework, I'll go back a bit earlier in years. Um, you know, I read the book, I think Mem Fox, I love her books. And she's written a book about reading with your toddlers. And I, I wanted to read with my toddlers. And my boy, you know, again, parenting expectations, my boy was not up. For being read to so i had all these beautiful books to read to him and i would start reading and he would come over close the book sit on the book and just i was not allowed to read to him he did not 
probably didn't like the sound of my voice. Um, yeah, he just he just would not be read to, refused to. And I'd um, I'd looked after over twenty families with kids with different disabilities, different needs, and you know, looking after these families as well as babysitting and whatever else up until the age I had my kids. And you read before you put your kids to bed. Yeah, you read with them, you read books and you interacted with them. There was none of that with my kids. And yeah, they just did not like books. They did not like reading. It just, yeah. Uh, my boy did love Dr. Seuss and the Harry McClary books. So rhyming, that were the two sets of books that I could read and nothing else, nothing else he was interested in. But anyway, moving forward to homework, you're supposed to be um, doing your readers with your kids in I don't know, kindy prep, year one, my boy would sit there and punch his head. He would just, yeah, just be so upset with, firstly, he didn't want to do it. And then the expectations around that, I suppose as well, you're supposed to do your homework. And then he struggles that much more with comprehension and the skills required for reading, I guess. And yeah, the, the anger, the anxiety, all of that just came out as punching himself in the head, which this is ridiculous. Why, why do we do this? So we didn't. And um, look, I'm getting the other end of that now in high school and doesn't do homework, but yeah, kind of more important things. I guess that's been my thing as well. Like I've, instead of academic, cause yeah, I haven't produced rocket scientists. Um, I want their confidence. I want their confidence in place and social. And when it does take so much more energy for them um, to keep up that social life, as well as everything else going on school, yeah, it's really been the social and life skills. Um, you could be the smartest kid on the planet, but if you don't have life skills, then once you leave school, once that routine's gone, what do you have left? Anyway, sorry, I'm prattling here and I've gone over a range of different things. I'm going to stop now before or who knows where I'll go on to next. Um, yeah, I will talk to you soon in the next episode. Bye.